This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly sermon podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's sermon. Some of you thought I was actually working on that wall. I was just praying, oh God, help this place. Help these people. That's, that's what was going on there. Well, welcome. Boy, what a fun time. Are you ready to party? Yeah, how fun. Well, I tell you what, in... In, uh, ten, in the 10-year history of this particular church, and probably any church, so many things that have taken place. And um, as I reflected back over where we've been in 10 years, there were just some specifics that jumped out at me, and I wanted to share those with you this morning. Somebody pointed out to me, a, a fellow pastor pointed out to me this week, that maybe one of the greatest things that we could say is that New Life has survived for 10 years. I'll tell you why. Sonoma and Marin counties are the two most unchurched counties in the United States. And in the last 50 years or so, less than one church in 10 that's been planted has actually survived to see their five-year anniversary. So the fact that we're around 10 years later means God's really been good to us, right? One of the first things that God did in this town was uh, when I landed, it was like, okay, we got to find a place to meet. Started looking for a place to meet. There were no places to meet. And uh, God used this church to open up Petaluma schools to the churches of this town. And since then, uh, many churches have met in schools in this town. And so that was kind of the first thing that God did. God has enabled us to hold worship services in 16 different locations around this city. That's kind of fun. You know, <clears throat> you know which one is the most fun? Number 16. You know why? That is Clegg Street. That's our new campus. Yeah, that's going to be a whole lot of fun. In the 10-year history of this church, we have baptized a little over 400 people. And you're going to get to see five or six of those this morning. That's a wonderful thing. We've taken nearly 150 different people on short-term mission trips around the world to Mexico, India, and Pakistan. We have sent from this congregation uh, short-term and long-term missionaries to South Africa, Slovakia, Brazil, Guatemala, and Thailand. We have sent from this church uh, a campus minister to Corpus Christi, Texas, who runs a chapter of Chi Alpha there, uh, a very successful chapter of Chi Alpha. Uh, we have built a church building in a town called Puthuvali, India. Can you believe that? We built a church building in India before we built one here. Now, it's not every church that does that, I can tell you that for sure. Uh, in India, it's a very it's a um, very necessary thing for a church to have a cemetery, because in their culture, if you have no cemetery, any church that has no place to bury its dead is not really a church. And so, uh, additionally, we purchased land and developed a cemetery for that church. We have made a major contribution to a Christian-run library in Berlin, Germany. We've provided assistance and coaching for half a dozen churches in four different states. God has enabled us to become a chief contributor to a new church called Foundation Christian Church that will launch in about three months in South Santa Rosa. We have given almost a third of a million dollars to plant churches 
in Northern California and in Nevada. And God has enabled us to become the first church in over 75 years to purchase property inside the city limits of Petaluma. How's that for fun? You know, the theme of the morning is how great is our God, but if I could put it maybe in plain English, I would say we are here to celebrate not only God's goodness, but God's goodness to us. And I'm going to teach you a couple of lessons and a little bit out of the Bible about that. But I I just want that to be the overall context. Just kind of for fun, I'd like to know, well, I I want you to stand up if this is true of you. If you were here 10 years ago on that windy, rainy, stormy, cold, and miserable Sunday that was our grand opening, would you stand, please? Oh, thank you. How fun is that? Now, if you have traveled more than 50 miles to be here just for this service, would you stand, please? That's terrific. Thank you. If you have been baptized at New Life, would you stand, please? Oh, how fun. There are some guests of honor here this morning. All of you are guests of honor. And I'm just so delighted that all of you are here. And uh, I want to encourage you just to enjoy the morning. It's so fun to have a standing room only crowd and uh, try to get everybody in here. And just don't tell the fire marshal, then we're okay, all right? But there are some people that... um, I just want to single out, and actually, I want to call you to the stage. So if you would come up here and just kind of stand in this area over here. Uh, and first of all, I'd like to call a good friend of mine, Dean Pence. Dean, would you come up, and you can bring Sue with you as well. Now, let me tell you about Dean. Dean was, uh, for many years, the director of an organization called the Northern California Evangelistic Association. And uh, come running up to the stage, guys. And uh, when Dean took over that organization, they planted an average of one church every three years. And Dean got the board of directors together in 1985, and he said, we can do way better than that. If you want me to lead this group, then you're going to have to come up with a God-sized vision, not this one church every three years. And so he sent them away to pray, and when they got back together... Again, they decided that they would commit themselves to planting 45 churches in the next 15 years. So they would plant a church every four months. So every 120 days, they're going to be starting a new church in Northern California. And then they turned to God and said, we believe that you've given us this vision, so we can't do this without your help. Well, I think when the dust had cleared, in the next 15 years, they planted 42 churches in Northern California, and remember that, remember that little statistic about one in ten churches planted north of the Golden Gate Bridge survives to see its fifth anniversary? Well, 40, uh, almost 40, I think it was 39 of those 42 churches are still in existence today. 
Thank you, Dean. Marcus Bigelow. Marcus, where are you? Come on up, Marcus. And Jan, you can come too. You know, when, a, when an organization has a big vision like that, eventually the guy leading it gets a little tired. And so God had called Dean uh, to uh, begin doing some other things in addition to directing the Northern California Evangelistic Association. So he looked up his good friend and church planter, Marcus Bigelow, and he said, Marcus, I want to pass the baton to you. Would you please take over this organization and become its director? And so Marcus Bigelow became the director of the Northern California Evangelistic Association in 1997. And um, he wanted to make sure that his first church planter would, uh, would do okay. And by God's grace, I happened to be the first guy that Marcus ever hired. So he took a big gamble, I can tell you that for sure. So... Yeah, what a fun time. Every church has what I call super volunteers. Now, every church needs tons of volunteers, but there are in every church a group of people that work as hard for the success of the church as people who are paid on the staff. And we are blessed this morning to have the church's very first super volunteer. Lori Hackley, would you come up to the stage, please? Lori came to me. Actually, Lori and her family decided to be to become members of this church before this church had a name. I had lived here only, I think, two days. I don't have time to tell you that whole story, but Lori worked for the church. She came to me and said, hey, you're going to need somebody to make copies and do clerical work and all that kind of stuff. So when the church had an office, which was a desk in my garage and a copy machine in our bedroom, <laughs> Lori was the church secretary. All right. I would like to invite to the stage the members of our interim leadership team, which would be Rick DeCarly, Ron Scranton, Rich and Lenora Dunlap. Would you guys come up here, please? You know, I'm told that there's a special bond that takes place, that took place between the guys who were in the trenches in the Second World War. And if you've ever talked to a World War II veteran, they'll say, hey, that was one of the dudes in the trench with me. If I could give you any phrase that describes those four people, those are the people who have been in the trench with me. Before we ever had our first church service, I called them together and I said, I want to ask you to commit to do something. This is not my church. This is God's church. And so right away, God has said to me, I want you to bring people on board who will help you lead this church, make its major decisions, and also people who will hold you personally accountable for what goes on in your life and in your ministry. And so I took those four people aside and one other guy whose name is Dennis Bender, 
who moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I don't know where now. But uh, I owe an awfully lot to those four people. Now, I didn't, I didn't tell them how long I expected them to serve in that capacity, but I'm guessing because the title was Interim Leadership Team, they thought it might be short-term. <laughs> well, nine years later, we called it the Eternal Leadership Team. <laughs> and um, they have just uh, done marvelously. I would like to invite to the stage all of our current spiritual and financial stewards. Would you come up here, please? When the time came for the interim leadership team to pass the leadership baton on. God blessed us with a just a wonderful group of spiritual and financial stewards who meet very often, who pray for you, who pray for the church, who make sure that it's in good financial condition, who make sure that it's in good spiritual condition. Uh, they work tirelessly behind the scenes. They are the lay pastors of this church. And uh, uh, as, as God, by the way, almost a year ago, we, got, we had the same group of people up here on the stage. We prayed over them. We put them into that particular position. We got them together that night. That was on Sunday morning and got them together that Sunday night. And they really didn't know this was coming. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a position of great responsibility in this church. I want to remind you of something. This is not your church now. still belongs to God. It's not mine. But we do have a decision to make. There's a three and a quarter million dollar piece of property that we need to put $100,000 down on if we're serious. Would you help us make that decision tonight? That's what you call jumping into the deep end of the pool, right? Yeah, we didn't wade in, you know, a little bit at a time. But, you know, it was a wonderful time of prayer and seeking after God. And uh, in a little bit, we're all going to get to enjoy what God is doing in that campus and, and to begin to anticipate what He's going to do in that campus. I would like to invite to the stage our pastoral staff. Would you guys come up here, please? <clears throat> Okay, we're short a couple. Where's Michael Bearden and where's Angela? He's over at Clegg. Michael's over at Clegg working. <laughs> Tell him to stay out of the hot dogs. It's not time for that yet. All right. I can assure you that God does wonderful things through the pastoral staff. And I can assure you that much of what God does on a daily basis in this church, He does through their partnership in ministry. And I so appreciate those of you who pray for the staff week after week and day after day because um, that's not a 40-hour-a-week job. That, that's not a five-day-a-week job. That's a seven-day-a-week job that oftentimes is far greater than 40 hours. And they are 
my closest ministry partners, and we are deeply indebted to them. Then I would like to call to the, to the stage another group of people, and that is um, my son and my two daughters. Harris? I don't think Lisa's... Can you go get Lisa? Please. I want you to finish this phrase. The pastor's kids are always the... (laughs) Unfortunately, in many cases, that's all too true. Um, Sometimes it's hard for me... (laughs) Sometimes it's... uh, It's very hard for me to talk about my own family because I could never describe to you the sacrifices that they've made growing up and the sacrifices that they have made for this church. Um, I'll start with Anthony. When God called Monica and me to come and move to a city called Petaluma that we actually didn't know where it was and couldn't actually find this place on a map. (laughs) So we got out the index, you know, and found the G3. Oh, there it is. Um, And came here to start a church in a town where we didn't know anybody. I knew that in order for a church to be successful, there are three things you have to have kind of from day one. You have to have a senior pastor. Well, I wasn't involved in that choice. God said, okay, you, you go. So we had that much covered. You have to have an excellent children's program or you never get families. God bless my wife with wonderful abilities in working with children, and you have to have great worship. And Anthony, who had been leading worship in the church where I was in Hawaii for a number of years, uh, came to me and said, Dad, if you're going to go plant a church... I'll commit to moving with you for the first two years, and I'll lead worship in that church and, and begin to lay the, the, the foundation for that worship ministry. That was a huge sacrifice for him. He got married in the middle of that, and his wife, Sianna, came on board, and, and, uh, and uh, the two of them also worked in youth ministry, and it would just be uh, our very first logo, the one that we kind of still use Anthony was the one who actually designed that logo. And if you went through this church, there's so many things that are sacrifices that he has made. And uh, I am deeply indebted to him. Lisa. Yes. Lisa and her husband, Eris came up here on a grand opening Sunday, even though they were part of a church plant in Southern California that was launching on the same Sunday. And uh, so how's that for being torn between two places? But you know, the fact that they came up here will tell you kind of where family fits in their priorities. And that was huge. And it wasn't too many years later until they called and said, hey, um, are you planning to stay in Petaluma a while? I said, 
yeah, I think God's got us here for quite a while. And they said, okay, well, then we want to move up. And uh, we want to raise our kids around you and we want to become part of the church. And uh, so she jumped in. Eris went to get her from the kids' construction zone because there's who knows how many kids over in that room doing who knows what while Lisa's not in there. <coughs> it might be the kids' destruction zone right now. But anyway, and uh, she and Eris lead... Uh, uh, a major life group in the church. And if I were to list the things that she and Eris have done in this church, it's a long list. And uh, those of you who were here during the ready spiritual journey in which God helped us raise uh, what is now about $1.6 million in contributions and pledges, uh, Lisa and her husband Eris and Rick and Marcy DeCarly, who are already on the stage, were the directors for that. And uh, tirelessly worked uh, for weeks on that. So Lisa, I owe you a lot. Oh yeah, and I forgot a major contribution, okay? Anthony and his wife Sienna have contributed two grandchildren, and Eris and Lisa have contributed three, so that's a really big deal right there. And then last of all, Angela. And um, Angela is the cheery voice that you hear on the phone most of the time or quite often when you call New Life. Angela is our resident office manager, kind of ministry counselor, um, has led our youth ministry, has just done so many, many things. But I will tell you honestly, and I have to keep my hand out of the pocket, I think there's a short in there. Um, I will tell you honestly that this church operates better when I'm gone than when Angela's gone. That, and that is the honest truth. When I go, the staff says, have a good time. We can get along without you. When Angela goes, they go, what are we going to do? <laughs> so, Angela, I owe you big time. Thank you. And the last person I would like to welcome to the stage is Monica. Monica, would you come, please? When you talk sacrifices, <laughs> unless you've been a pastor's wife, it's very difficult to understand what that is. Um, many years after we were married, I learned the real reason that Monica married me. <laughs> I thought it was because I was handsome. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. And had beautiful hair. <laughs> and was trim. For better or for worse? Yeah, yeah, yeah here you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it was after we'd been married several years that Monica said to me, you know, I married you because her family of origin was very unstable. Monica was, I believe, in high school before she went to the same school two years in a row. And sometimes she went to as many as three different schools in one year. So she looked around and she said, where can I find Mr. Stability? <laughs> and I think she thought, that guy's about as boring as they can be. 
That guy's going nowhere, right? And uh, so she married me because she thought we would live all of our lives in Iowa, where I was born and raised, and that we would buy a nice little house in the country, and I would pastor a nice little country church, and life would be very sweet and rosy. And she has tagged along beside and sometimes behind me um, um, to a lot of different places and lived in a lot of different homes. And we've lived in tiny little cracker boxes that people in the church were embarrassed of. But it was what God provided. And we've lived in beautiful homes that I, I remember a CFO walking into one of the homes that we lived in in Honolulu. And he looked at me and he said, the church must be doing really well. <laughs> um, and that's another long whole story. But whether we've lived in a cracker box or a beautiful home, uh, whether, we've, whether we've been among people we've known and loved or gone to places where we didn't know anybody, um, Monica's never grumbled. And she's always jumped in, and she's always worked as hard and as long and as tirelessly as I have. And uh, this church would not be what it is without her. Thank you all. Very, very much. May God bless all of us as we move forward. Thank you. <clears throat> so, how did all that happen? Well, I want to teach you a little bit out of God's Word this morning. So on the inside of your programs, you'll find a half sheet of notes, and you're going to have to write in a hurry because I'm going to talk in a hurry. I'm going to teach you six things out of God's Word this morning, so it's going to be kind of um, AK-47 style for those of you who are gun collectors, all right? <coughs> Tucked away in a somewhat seldom read section of Scripture the book of First Samuel in the Bible, it's a wonderful little short story. And it's a story that begins in one of Israel's darkest hours. You see, a neighboring nation called the Philistines had decided that they were going to invade the nation of Israel. And so they, they took the time to gather together this immense army. But without telling the Israelites that they were going to do it, obviously... And then they gathered together and they started their invasion of Israel. Well, the nation of Israel didn't have much time to prepare, and so they put together an army as best they could, but it was a makeshift army and it was not well prepared. And it was nowhere near the size of the Philistine army, and so the Israelites panicked. And they thought, what in the world are we going to do? We're outmanned, we're outnumbered, we're outprepared, we're out everything. And then somebody came up with what they thought was a great idea. They said, let's go to our tabernacle, which was like their temple or their church, and let's take the most sacred piece of furniture in that tabernacle, which was 
the Ark of the Covenant, in which God said, I will dwell between the angels on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. They said, let's take the Ark of the Covenant right out into the battlefield, because if we take that out there, there's no way God will let us lose. So they toted that piece of furniture out of their tabernacle, and they took it right out into the middle of the battlefield. And they began to cheer and yell and scream because they figured victory would be certainly theirs. Now here's where you learn the first lesson. Here's lesson number one. Take a look. God is our heavenly Father. To be known and loved, not some cosmic super force to be used and discarded according to our needs or wishes. You know any people in your world who go to church when they're sick, but never when they're well? Maybe we have people in our audience this morning who struggle with that. I want you to know that God is your heavenly Father, and He wants you to know Him and love Him. He's not some sort of deity that you can just kind of summon Whenever you think you're in need and, oh God, reach out and help me, I'm in trouble. You see, when times were good, they forgot about God. And then when times were bad, they figured they could somehow manipulate God into being on their side. Well, guess what happened? God's not about to allow himself to be manipulated by anybody. And when the dust had cleared at the end of that battle, the Ark of the Covenant had been captured by the enemy and taken to a foreign country. The two sons of the high priest, who was like a combination of the high priest and king, his two sons were killed in the battle. When news of that reached the high priest, he fell over backwards in a faint of some sort, broke his neck, and died. His, his daughter-in-law, one of the wives of one of the two guys that was killed, when she heard the news, she went into labor and she died giving birth to her son. And before she died, they said, what do you want to call your son? And she said, Ichabod, which means the glory of God has departed. It was a low, low time. It was dark. For 20 plus years, the Ark of the Covenant never came back to the tabernacle. Then God raised up a guy by the name of Samuel. And Samuel led the people in bringing the Ark of the Covenant back and putting it in the tabernacle where it belonged. And that's where we're going to pick up the story because that was a great time of celebration for them. So let me read to you. Then Samuel told them, Gather all Israel together at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. He said, Get everybody together and let's pray. There's lesson number two. Here it is. The first step in receiving God's blessing is praying together. Can I tell you, it is no coincidence that this church is in the middle of 21 days of prayer. Nor is it a coincidence that when we were going through our ready spiritual journey in which God did miraculous things and is still doing miraculous things in this church, um, 
through that particular journey that the heart of that particular journey was 40 days of focused prayer in which all of us had a daily prayer devotional and it ended with a simple little prayer that we prayed in a very heartfelt way. And it was, God, what do you want to do through me to accomplish your will in this church? And today, we are the recipients of God's blessing. Now going on, the Bible says, so they gathered at Mizpah and... In a great ceremony, they drew water from a well and they poured it out before the Lord and they also went without food a day and confessed that they had sinned against the Lord. It is also not a coincidence that right now a number of leaders in this congregation and a number of key lay people in this congregation are fasting. Some are doing without any form of solid food for as long as 40 days. Some, uh, there's an infinite variety of ways in which you can do without things as you seek God. By far, I think the most creative one that I've heard of is one of our spiritual stewards in this church is in, in the middle of 40 days in which he eats nothing that begins with the letter C. Now, that's a non-seafood diet. No coffee, no caffeine, no candies, no cookies, no chocolate, no cake. You realize how many really good things begin with C? I didn't realize vitamin C was that popular. They did without, they did without food and they repented. Now, here's... Lesson number three, the next step in receiving God's blessing is repenting. It's looking inside. It's saying, God, would you purify my life? And I know if you're in the middle of the 21 days of prayer, there's a number of things in there about personal introspection and, and just confessing areas of our life that, that we've been way too selfish with or way too controlling and certainly not yielded to God's control. It's that attitude of repentance. So then what happens? Well, it was at Mizpah that Samuel became Israel's judge. And the word judge was kind of like the combination of judge, priest, and king. So he was kind of the cheese, all right? And when the Philistine rulers heard that Israel had gathered at Mizpah, they mobilized their army and advanced. And the Israelites were badly frightened when they learned that the Philistines were approaching. And here's what they said to their head pastor. Don't stop pleading with the Lord our God to save us from the Philistines, they begged Samuel. So Samuel took a young lamb and offered it to the Lord as a whole burnt offering. He pleaded with the Lord to help Israel, and the Lord answered him. Just as Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offerings, the Philistines arrived to attack Israel. Here's lesson number four, and that is, when seeking God, expect setbacks. I said to you earlier, that God has enabled us to hold worship services in 16 different locations. Believe me, they were not all our first choice. Many of those represented setbacks and disappointments. And if we were to go through and chronicle the history of this church, we have encountered numerous setbacks. That's just par for the course. As an old pastor told me one time, he said, you know, 
run. If you and the devil never run into each other, it's probably because you're both going the same direction. Okay? A lot of truth in that. So then what happened? Take a look. But the Lord spoke with a mighty voice of thunder from heaven that day. Wouldn't you have loved to have been a little mouse in the corner that day? You know, when God begins to speak with a mighty voice of thunder, my guess is everybody runs. And so, and the Philistines were thrown into such confusion that the Israelites defeated them, and the men of Israel chased them from Mizpah to a place below Bethkar, slaughtering them along the way. Lesson number five, when seeking God, expect divine blessing. You know, if, if you've prayed and you've prayed together, and you've repented, and you've been serious before the Lord, and you've encountered setbacks, stand by. If you want to put something in parentheses beside divine blessing, why don't you just put the word miracles? Expect God to show up and do something that no one else could do. It's not humanly possible. And that's exactly what happened. Now take a look at the end of the story. And Samuel took a large stone and placed it between the towns of Mizpah and Jeshana. And he named it Ebenezer, which means the stone of help. For he said, up to this point, the Lord has helped us. Now, most of you probably didn't know that Ebenezer was connected with anything but Scrooge, right? But really, that name is a Bible name, and it means, up to this point, God has helped us. And if I had any message that I would give to you in this time of celebration, it would be this. And that is, whatever you see, whether it's the people who are here this morning, whether it's the people who are on the stage, whether it's the new campus we're going to go to later, whatever you see, yes, people have worked hard. But the bottom line is, the one who has worked hardest on this church is none other than God himself. This is his church. It always has been, and it always will be. And I would like for you to stand with me and let's give God a standing ovation for all he has done for and through us. I'd like to ask you to remain standing because the worship team is going to lead us in a brand new song, to us anyway, but the message is timeless and ageless because at the heart of the song is the truth I just taught you. He has done great things. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information and past sermons, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.